0: Features and... Features and poems. and
1: poems. I got so old. You died. I died. You had a wife. And we had a family. How,
0: how? How do we remember that? I don't know.
1: Hi everyone. Welcome to episode three oh five of Physical Kids Weekly: A Life in the Day. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we're joined by Mike Moore, who wrote this week's episode. Welcome, Mike.
0: Hey guys, good to be here.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Um, before we get into the episode, there's a few questions we try to ask everyone the first time we have them on, and since this is your first time on, um... oh, this is like the hazing part of it. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Just just the fun interview part. And actually, not all of these are like things that we ask everyone; just some of them. Um, Danny, I'm going to let you take it away.
2: Alrighty. let's start with some basics. Why did you get into television? Were there particular particular reasons that inspired you?
0: Yeah, uh, television specifically. I knew I wanted to write, um, and I had wanted to write for a long time since I was probably in high school, I guess. Um, but television specifically, it's just because in in Hollywood in the industry, if you TV is where the writer gets respected the most, um, and also in terms of being able to pay bills out of when you're out of school, or
1: <laughs> um, yeah, we know what that's like.
0: Yeah, yeah like if you get on a the show, then you have steady pay. But trying to just sell spec features is a can lead to a lot of baristaing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, were there particular shows that inspired you when you were
0: I, mean, I don't know growing up? Yeah. Well, so I was in I was in college right when. Mad Men and Breaking Bad were really um, ticking off. Uh, And I actually got to do an internship at AMC during that time. Um, So I think those two stick out in my mind, especially, but um, looking back more long-term oddly enough, The Simpsons has been a huge influence, um, not just in terms of like, yeah, it's hysterical, but also, the, it's it's just a, a smart show. Like, I'll watch episodes from fucking 20 years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Can we?
1: Yeah, can we, yeah we can go. Uh, okay, we do it go. all
0: the time. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, yeah, like, I'll watch an episode from fucking 20 years ago, and it's still smarter than 80%, 90% of, of the stuff on now. Um, it was just such sharp. Quick, witty writing. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. And it's still on, right? I mean, I think that's a. And it's still on. It. It's
0: yeah. I think we can uh, all agree the quality may not have, um, you know, stayed with it this whole time. But <laughs> the OG Simpsons was uh, that was just some really fantastic TV. There's still
1: some solid episodes too. It's it's hard to keep that up over what are we at twenty five seasons now, something like
0: that. Something like it's that. 29. I thought it was, like, oh my God. about my age, but <laughs> just, just insane to think about. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, so I'm also curious how you got involved with the magicians in the first place, because everyone we've talked to has a different story. So, yeah, what's yours?
0: Mine was, um, it was through John and Sarah, the showrunners. Um, mm. I worked with them on Aquarius, which was a show right. John ran, um, and I was a writer's assistant for them. There, um, So they brought me over to magicians to be writer's assistant and that's actually a pretty, I don't know if there's any aspiring TV writers listening, but that's actually, the, I think the best way to get into a room is um, somehow, you know, get yourself into that kind of a position. But um, being a writer's assistant for them for see, it was two seasons of Aquarius and one season of magicians, that was like my grad school. That's where I got to learn how they broke down story, how they arced characters, how you would um, sort of piece together an episode in a way that's dramatically captivating, but also still entertaining. Yeah. Um, and so being being able to learn under them for three seasons before getting staffed was uh, so nice and such a Huh. yeah it's such a help
1: did you know the source material did you know the magician's books when you came
0: on yeah, uh, by the time we started season one i did but <laughs> you know, um you know, when uh when the pilot got picked up when sci-fi picked up the pilot um that's when i started reading them um yeah and yeah so there was a little bit of cramming in there but um <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: Did you feel like when you when you did read them? Did you feel like there was any particular part of it that connected with you, especially?
0: Yeah. So reading the first book um, was because uh, I'm not I'm not a big fantasy. I wasn't a big fantasy reader before the show. Um, so I think a lot of the like what Liv's obviously doing with the book is subverting a lot of tropes. Um, but being new to fantasy, I didn't really recognize specifically what he was yeah, doing some of those tropes. at that point. Um, so my attention is more focused on just how he described the work of magic. And I think that's mm. what I remember the most from book one was um, like he, the way he talks about like their fingers... Like yeah. they're t- until their fingers ached. Yeah. And they would you know, read the books until their eyes were blurry and couldn't read anymore. Um yeah, and like I just flashed to like watching hard knocks or like uh you know football practice or um any athlete playing a sport. It's like, yeah, it's um you know, you watch a game on Sunday and yeah. you're like, oh these guys get to play play a game for a living. That's great. But what you don't see is the, the tutting practice or the, yeah. um, so him shining a light on the mundanity, I guess, of the work that goes into the polish, um, was, uh, I, I really engaged with.
1: Cool. Um,
2: so how is working on an adaptation different from working on a completely original show?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. Every advantage is also a, I don't know, it's not a, I don't want to say hindrance, definitely a challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's, we have so much, so many characters and events and plot lines to choose from, yeah. this whole mythology to to pick from, but yeah. at the same, and, uh, which is just a great wealth of um just material and resource obviously but at the same time there's also the um, balancing it versus we don't want to just tell the story that's in the book which a couple I mean you could probably tell that a couple episodes in Um, but I think um, we've reached a point now where um, plot-wise we've burned through a fair amount of stuff um, yeah. And the stuff, the majority of stuff we have left um, is a lot of the stuff that comes in book three, which is more about resolving mm. some of these arcs, which we're not really ready to get to yet.
1: <laughs> so for this, yeah, we hope for, we get a few more seasons. Yeah,
0: yeah. For this interim, we're in this cool place where um, we've we've done a large majority of the stuff in the books. Um but we, you know, don't want to get to the end stuff yet. So there's this um, sort of big, fun bucket of uh, characters and events to choose from. Um, there's a couple scenes in particular that come to mind that we, I haven't gotten to yet, and I probably shouldn't say any of those Mm. by name right now. Spoilers. Uh, (laughs) But I know uh, that they have, like, extremely strong emotional resonance um, and are just dramatic as hell because Love's a great writer, (laughs) and -hmm. he writes great scenes. So, like, right now, we're in this position where it's almost like we're, we're at a buffet and we still have room on our plate so we can kind of grab what we need to. Um, mm. I'm, yeah, I think I'm, maybe I'm hungry. Maybe that's why I went with a buffet. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah I, I definitely feel you if you are hungry. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So right now it's like this, um, we, we have all the benefits of uh, writing an ad from an ad writing an adaptation without the, um, you know, without having to feel tied to a specific story we have to tell.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the writers have like a distinct voice. Uh what do you think makes your episodes unique?
0: Um the masturbation jokes probably. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um
0: yeah. but besides that, um yeah. it's uh that's that's actually a really good question. Um yeah. I mean as a writer on a show, your job is not necessarily to write your voice, it's, to write, it's like, this is Sarah's show, so what is, um, I, whenever I'm writing, I'm always thinking about it through that lens, and you know, I say that in the, in the same breath, um, she does really give us a lot of freedom of expression to put in as many jerk-off jokes as we want. (laughs) Um, But I think uh, that's... it's I'm sorry, that's a really... That's a great question because I don't feel like I have a great answer for it. Um, Whenever we're in the room and we're talking about... Because we talk about each episode before the writer goes off to write it. um, Mm. And whenever we do that, uh, it's this it's like sort of the the final class presentation um yeah. uh, and everybody gets to chime in like as you're you basically just pitch out the episode from start to finish and it usually takes like an hour and a half or two hours sometimes and as you're pitching it people chime in with yeah. their thoughts um and like sometimes it's this doesn't work and that maybe change this but a lot of times it's mainly just suggestions mm-hmm. and punch ups. So mm-hmm. they help you, know, you develop <laughs> like,
1: it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I feel like by the time I have a script, like a lot of the stuff in there, most of the stuff in there is like mm-hmm. stuff other people said that I typed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I, the, I think the community aspect of uh, how we approach um how we approach the episodes it's definitely not unique to the show but it's certainly something i think the magician's writer's room uh prides itself on um and and is better because of it
2: that's great yeah um so who's your favorite character to write for
0: Margot, without a doubt. <laughs> that was so fast. <laughs> Margot is so much fun to write. Um,
1: yeah,
0: I mean, each character, like when I'm, you know, when I'm feeling grumpy, Penny's so much fun to write. Yeah. Uh, when i'm when I'm in that writing mode, where, like yeah. I feel like my heart is connected directly to the keyboard. <laughs> Quentin and Julia and Alice are so much fun to write. Yeah. but, Oh like, writing Margo is just, guys, I cannot tell you, I that's what I do for free. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they pay me for some of the other stuff. But, like, <laughs> um, just because Summer can pull off the most absurd, the most vulgar lines um, – and which is yeah, and they it, sound
1: it, natural from her. Yes,
0: yeah. And she puts this like delicious spit on them <laughs> that I would never in a million years imagine. Um,
1: she elevates your masturbation jokes.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, like writing Margo scenes are just a blast. Also, because they usually have tick in them too. And
1: oh, he's it so is great.
0: Such a delight.
1: <laughs> so, yes. Oh yeah, your, Danny was talking about how much she loves Tick in the last episode. Yes!
2: <laughs> I do, I love him.
0: Yeah. So I,
1: lo-
2: I love that actor. Uh, he's Rizzo so
0: Rizzo. funny. Yeah. Rizzo, he is great. He can just, yeah, he has a great ability to take the most um, <laughs> just purely exhibition, exhibition kind of line and make it so much, uh, so hilarious and so engaging.
1: Mm-hmm. that actually that's something that that, um, that Summer does really well too I, I remember there's some episode last season where she had this like monologue that was mostly exposition mm-hmm. and it was only the second time watching it that I realized that that's what was going on because the first mm-hmm. time I was
0: just so engaged Yeah, you know, like, it's like Margo always has and if, now that we're talking about it and this might be Margot never hides her point of view mm-hmm. or her goals um so they are always just, they're they're bald and they're obvious, and that's a good thing. Like that's a benefit. Yeah. It's part of her character. That's part of what makes Margot Margot and Summer's performance, especially, is shine. Um, is that and maybe uh, subconsciously that's why I like writing for her the most. I don't know.
1: Well, let's let's flip the question too, and I want to ask: Are there particular types of stories that you like to tell?
0: Yeah. Oh, um, definitely the challenging stories. Like, I mean, in, in as season two, the uh, it was yeah. not at all easy or fun to write. Yeah. Um, but Julia's abortion storyline—it mm-hmm. um, yeah. was one of those where it was, yeah. yeah, not fun to write or break. Obviously, like yeah. I. I would be worried if somebody relished in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it was yeah. a story that um, you know we felt really strongly about, and when you when you feel really strongly about the story like that, um, you you do just really, really want to tell it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that I, that I personally love about not just writing on the show, but also with Sarah and John and Henry Hughes, an EP this year, is mm-hmm. they really encourage us to, to find those those stories that like aren't going to be comfort food, yeah. but they're stories you really uh, want to explore and um, just look at the, the human aspect of it. Yeah.
1: Uh s- speaking of Henry Myers, when we had him on for season one, uh, one of the things we asked him was about his literary preferences. So mm-hmm. for you, what sorts of books do you like to read and what are you reading now?
0: Oh, um, I, I don't know if I have a necessarily – like, I guess in general, um, like American Western would huh. be – like Cormac McCarthy is um, yeah. my very quick go-to for – uh, you know, when you're asked, "What's your favorite? Who's your favorite author?" Or whatever, and your mind just goes blank. I'm just <laughs> back. Um, uh, um But I've definitely gone more into nonfiction lately. Uh, I'm reading Dreamland right now. Um, it's about the it's about the opioid epidemic. Um, mm. Another story that's not fun to live in, but A really fascinating and compelling story um and it's yeah it's sort of like the double narrative of the black tar heroine coming to the u.s while oxycontin is being advertised and marketed and how it kind of created a perfect storm that uh led to what we have today um but i think besides that uh, what else am i reading right now um See, like, when you ask me, my mind goes blank. Okay. <laughs> no, I
1: know, I know how that is. If I didn't have Goodreads, I would never know what what was in <laughs> <Yep>. my list. <laughs> yep. I'm always reading like four things at once, and I could never, I can almost never name one. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I think according to my Goodreads, I'm reading like 15 books, and like half of them I've <laughs> probably abandoned.
1: Yeah. You gotta create yourself an abandoned shelf. I'll will t- tell you I how do, to do that. I do I do have one actually.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just bad yeah. at updating it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I do read a lot of like newspaper articles because you get a sense of accomplishment because you finish it in like 30 minutes.
1: Oh yeah, I, yeah. I have my Wash Post subscription. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I th- I
2: think at least like 10 books of mine a year for on Goodreads come from just like finishing a like 30 page comic. So I nice. feel like. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> um, so moving on Aside from the magicians What you watched
0: Oh um, Oh my god This is one of those same ones Okay so here's what I've just I just finished End of the fucking world I just, Oh I loved like, that It's <laughs> so good It's so uh, good I, Yeah the way that show Just Dived right into the deep end of the pure humanity of telling a story about a adolescent who's going through puberty and realizing he might be a psychopath. Um, was just I, I've never I've never seen that before. Uh,
2: I haven't seen it yet, but just from the trailers, I was like, this makes me think if. Holden Caulfield met American Psycho. So, like,
1: yeah, that's actually like, a really good summary. Yeah, are you sure you haven't watched it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I
2: might have thought it, but
0: <laughs> what I love about it most is especially earlier in the season, how whenever I was watching it, I, I felt like I was feeling two things at one time. Like, mm. I, I cared about him, so I wanted him to succeed, to succeed. Yeah. but I also, but cared also, about murder. Her. Yeah. And back. I didn't want her to die. <laughs> and those are in God, like mm-hmm. um, I'm not spoiling anything, Danny. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, okay. I'm watching that. I'm finishing episodes right now. The last season, um, the Matt LeBlanc on Showtime. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a pure delight. Um, uh, it's it's like very inside, inside baseball for showbiz. Um. <laughs> So it's a bit of a guilty pleasure, but, uh, yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> that and the new, like, I'm watching the newest season of Black Mirror right now. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's not as fucked up as I thought it would be.
1: Ah, uh, just wait. Okay. Just wait. Because I'm, like,
0: <laughs> four in.
2: I don't and- think anything can beat that episode with the, the like, the guy, like, the the, the guy who's a child into child pornography yeah. and then they like trolling. Oh, yeah. huh? That one was, was
0: my fucked up. Fucking favorite episode. That was so good.
2: I was like that this is oh, haunted this
0: house. Movie. The video game episode.
2: That one really played me for a trip. Yeah. Oh
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot like that was just such a great purely haunted house episode. And it was directed mm-hmm. it was written really well. Mm-hmm. It was directed almost perfectly. Um,
2: yeah. I also love the one with Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, yeah, me too. That one was really like it was too real almost. I was like, "This we're getting the, into this territory."
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well and- they have that in China now. That social points system. Oh wow! Is, it's being rolled out?
1: That. Yeah, it's being
0: rolled out in China. Um,
1: oh no!
0: And it's like. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Huh. Wait,
1: I, I don't know who the actor is, so which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the, the like, Meow Meow Beans episode, or are you talking about the uh, the like one that seemed like a Sliders episode?
2: It was um, the first one of last season where she they have like the app where they are it's all the- raiding each other. So Yeah, sweet. that's the Meow Meow
1: Beans episode. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I like how you've named them different. Titles in your
1: mouth. <laughs> well, I named it because in Community, there's the same episode. that's oh, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's Beow Beow Miao Beans. Beow Beans. <laughs> I
2: forgot about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the the other one that I was thinking of, though, is the one where they... Oh, no, never mind. That's an episode of The Orville. That's not an episode of uh, <laughs> of Black Mirror.
0: <laughs> you might be the first so, person besides David Reed to mix up The Orville and Black Mirror.
1: Well, okay, look, <laughs> in fairness, right, this is an episode where they go to a planet that seems like it's, like, an alternate reality, like, where everyone is, like, raiding each other mm-hmm. kind of similar to the Meow Beans thing, except for that there's, like, uh if you, except for the consequences are much greater, if you get a low rating, you can die. Oh, <laughs> so oh <wow. laughs> you can be sentenced to death. So uh, sorry, spoilers, whatever. I think it <laughs> happens in like the first 10 minutes. It's fine. Uh, so in my defense, that is like the most Black Mirror sounding episode of the Orville. I mean, yeah. That's so. pretty <laughs> <tough>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's in the Orville tone, which is like, I... I, I have like a I, the Orville is my guilty pleasure because I love it, but I also feel like it's not good, and yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Has
0: David Reed come on this podcast yet?
1: No, we'd love to have him on. We need to make okay. that. We actually now we're we're lucky enough in season three that we now have like a backlog of people that we need to set up right. episodes with. So let's well,
0: talk to him about the Orville because I think. Yeah.
1: Okay, <laughs> I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll pin that. that, I'll remember it <laughs> um, Okay, so we have one What was that? Okay, Claire We
2: all have that show There was definitely a little like
1: uh, Cutting out there, but I'm guessing that you were Making fun of me for being a nerd, so No,
2: cool. no, 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 I'm saying <laughs> I think we all have that show that we know is terrible But we love it anyways
1: The thing is like, I, I don't even know if it's actually Terrible, it's just like it doesn't know what its tone is, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, at all, and I think that's sort of the point, because, like, basically it's Star Trek, which is this, like, super utopian thing, except for it's Star Trek with, like, mediocre people. <laughs> it's like, what would happen if you made a utopian society out of normal people? <laughs> that,
2: that's that's the one that... Um... What's his face is in right? The guy from
1: Family Guy. What's his name? I'm blanking. Well, it's his show. Seth MacFarlane. MacFarlane. Yeah, Yeah. it's his show. It's like basically Seth MacFarlane wanted to be in Star Trek, and they were like, "No, you don't have the right tone for this." So he made a Star Trek without the right tone. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I do actually love this show, despite all of the sass, the the, like shade that I'm throwing at it. Okay, uh, we should we should we should move on. So last question, and I'm sorry, Danny, I'm stealing this one. It's Danny's favorite. What's your Hogwarts house?
0: Yeah, um, I've been told many, many times that I'm a Hufflepuff. Oh, Hufflepuffs. And I, think, I love Hufflepuffs. Yeah, I think that question is always best answered, not by what you think you are, but why everybody else says you are. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be like 90% Gryffindor and then like 10% of naysayers being like, "Nah, I'm slither.
1: <laughs> See... I think that is, like, what most of the fandom world is. Uh, Danny and I are both Ravenclaw-Slytherin hybrids. Oh.
0: (laughs) Oh, double majors. Very nice. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be – that would be weird if they had, like, double majors in Hogwarts. That would be a really interesting book. Somebody should write that. It's probably already on AO3. Can you do, like, a
0: semester abroad? If you're in, like, Slytherin, you do a semester abroad and –
1: Oh, my husband insists that he is from a different magic school. I insist that he's like a Ravenclaw, Gryffindor hybrid. Um, but
2: <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, there are many in other schools to choose from now.
1: Yeah, it's true. Oh, I I didn't even think about all that. Anyway, Hufflepuff, <laughs> cool. <laughs> so you're like hardworking, super into like fairness and justice, and you like food.
0: Yeah, I mean, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, Wh- which one was wrong? I mean, I really like food, so maybe that'll count <laughs> too. <two. laughs>
1: all right, all right. <laughs> two truths and a lies, and a lie, Mike Moore style. Yep. <laughs> okay, we should get into the episode. This is such oh. an extraordinary one. It's really deeply moving, and. A whole lot happens. I promise we'll get to all of it. But I want to start out with Quentin and Elliot's story, because that's what I think really sets the tone for this whole episode. Um, So this is, it says quick recap in my notes, but it's not really that quick of a recap. I'm going to give a recap (laughs) um, of that part of it. Quentin and Elliot return to Fillory through the Ram's Head clock, only to find that they've traveled through time as well. To obtain the next key from the quest, they have to solve this puzzle that's called the Mosaic by basically crafting an image out of tiles that represents the beauty of all life. It takes them their whole lives to solve it, and Quentin only figures it out after he sees Elliot die, like immediately afterward. So he figures it out, he's rewarded with the key, and uh, pretty much right... After that, a young Jane shows up and tells him that she needs the key to save Fillory from her brother. So despite everything it took him to solve the puzzle and everything that it cost him, um, including he believes, you know, Elliot is dead forever, um, he gives the key to Jane and then sends this message to Margot telling her to find Jane in the present day, retrieve the key, and continue the quest. Um, Near the end of the episode, the storylines merge, and Margot retrieves the key, then finds Quentin and Elliot just in time to stop them from going to the clock— and for a while, it looks like they're not going to remember anything. But then, just as we saw in the opening clip, um, Quentin and Elliot encounter relics of their other life. Um, very And in this very Proustian moment, it all comes flooding back. So, That was a good recap. Mike, thank you. <laughs> I wrote this at like 2.30 in the morning right after I saw it.
2: Oh,
1: my God. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> that was actually after I saw it the second time because i had to watch it twice in a row Uh, so so mike i think i'm going to start by asking you what you hoped viewers would feel when they watched this episode
0: um i the idea was to feel um i mean during that especially during that big sequence um of the aging sequence um Mm. just feel that uh that frustration that the a lot of we, we wanted people to feel a lot of things we wanted to really build a kind of a emotional roller coaster of sorts um to take people on like the idea of it being um friendships bonds like that between quentin and elliot um those are the kind that that can go through every high and every low and also get better because of it. Um, Mm. It's, it's something that um, I'm sure, you know, I, I I have a lifelong best friend that I've known since I was six and we've been through all kinds of ups and downs. um, And I know like that's made our friendship stronger. Um, And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have the same kind of things, but really just taking, um, Kind of just taking the audience, saying, let's sit down here for 10 minutes or whatever it ended up being, Mm -hmm. um, and have sort of a really rush, um a rushed but complete uh feeling of having a lifetime stuck in this box. Um Mm -hmm. and you see them grow with each other, you see them fight against each other, you see them bond. Um, you see them yeah. test yeah. limits here and there, yeah. um, find out where their personal boundaries are, where the definition of their friendship is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the I think something that really instructed us and moved us yeah. was there's this short uh, by Charlotte Regan. It's called Standby, um, and it's just it's one. Uh, Shot. I mean, it's uh, supposed to be a year in the life of these two cops. And so there's this one shot through the windshield. Um, One cop's always the driver. One cop's always the passenger. And it's just five minutes, but it's the entire year of their uh, partnership. Um, And seeing how much of a story uh, Charlotte was able to tell in that short, uh, in five minutes she told an entire year um, yeah. and i think that really instructed us on economy wise how big of a story we could tell um, so that really kind of uh, mentally allowed us granted us the permission the freedom whatever yeah. to even to even tackle this um, yeah. but yeah and you know obviously uh, we're not in control of what People ultimately feel, but yeah. the idea and the hope um, was that we all get trapped in this ten foot by ten foot square with Quentin and Elliot for an emotional lifetime mm-hmm. and everything that comes with that.
1: That's very beautiful, Danny. Is that anything like you felt?
2: Um. Well, I definitely thought the episode was beautiful. I pretty much raved about it immediately after seeing it and
1: I was just like she was sending like, me text for like two hours straight before I could get home from work
2: yeah it's true I told her I would have to wait until I got home to watch it and then I was like well I'm not waiting so I watched it and then I was just like immediately talking about it all day to her and
1: um, this is the problem with screeners is you only have like the one other person you can talk to
2: yeah oh I mean I posted one on Twitter basically telling everyone, like, I can't wait until everyone sees it because it's just such an emotional ride. It's honestly one of the most beautiful hours of TV I've probably ever seen. Okay. I've, I think I've watched a lot of TV, so I was very pleased with it.
0: That's fantastic. <laughs>
1: when I saw the title of this episode, I immediately thought of another really groundbreaking TV episode that, that does a lot of similar things. Um, the Inner Light from Star Trek The Next Generation.
0: Yeah, that's actually that was um, a huge reference for us, um, not just during the break, but also when I was on script. Because um, yeah, structure-wise, it is extremely similar. Like they're for different purposes, you know. Um, uh, in Star Trek, it's for it's more like emotional instruction. I guess, hmm. um, and ours is like, no, they actually did physically go back into time and yes. all that stuff. Um, but I, one thing I think it's probably pretty obvious is the flute from Star Trek was very instructive, um, for us of, cause we knew we wanted to, to tie the two worlds together somehow. Um, not just for the emotional catharsis of the episode, but also for the characters, for Quentin and Elliot, um, so that this wasn't just a complete one-off for them that doesn't have any impact on their lives going forward. Um, we wanted, like, if they're going to have 50 years of life experience together, we want them to, to feel that going forward. Um, and so I think the... I mean, the flute was definitely the, um, storytelling-wise, probably the the most instructive part of that. Um, and also from a purely production technical standpoint, seeing how they did it, like um, how many times they aged up Patrick Stewart and what his makeup looked like and when it was effective and when it wasn't effective um, was instructive for us knowing... Um, like production-wise, how many different looks can we get? Um, yeah. How many should we even try to get? Um, yeah, because you can write the most perfect, beautiful script, but if it's unshootable, if it's going to be a headache on production, then all you have is 50 pages of paper, um, and that's not the point. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. and I mean, definitely, while we're on that point I want to give a huge huge shout out to um our department and our makeup special effects department like this was a this is a big episode for everybody but those two departments in particular um had a whole lot on their plate um and I thought they just nailed it yeah
1: so what actually that brings me to something else that I, I wanted to sort of cover and um I'm asking this with no prior knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, but there's there's this line that L.A. delivers in the episode um, when they're talking about the key. And it's something like, don't you love it when the metaphor turns out to be literal? Mm-hmm. And uh, bearing in mind that I went into this uh, looking for the inner light uh, <laughs> references and to to sort of see that in here, one of the things that really struck me about the episode was uh, how much light there is, like how much physical light there is all over the episode. Um so mm. for me it was like one of the first episodes where I noticed the lighting and I noticed it in a big way like you see it like it's coming out of the ram's head clock which is literally an inner light. Yeah. Um the one that was like really interesting to me was that um it so in Fillory, uh there's the whole like forest area, right, and you have the the production spotlights, and there's no attempt to hide them yeah, um, yeah right like that's what they are and that to me was like such a such an interesting and bold move was to 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 make these production spotlights part of um the scene setting um And then there's like the light coming out of the mosaic when Quentin completes it. And then in some of the other storylines too, like the light shining down on all you and the sort of, I don't know exactly where that scene is, but it seems like it's inside Julia's mind. Do you know if any of that was intentional?
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I know um, I can only speak so much to this. I think Francois, uh, who DP'd this episode, and Ellie Smolkin, who... Help set the look for the whole show. They can probably give better um, answers to this. But um, uh, I know, so when we go back into Fillory, um, that's the first time that these guys have seen Magic this entire season. And we wanted that to really, really hit. Um, and we wanted it to be big and bold and obvious. They're like, yeah, these guys are back in Magic Fillory. Um, so, so yeah, when we yeah. um yeah, we wanted the magic to be um, very obvious and prominent mm-hmm. and strong. Um, but that's that's probably a question they could answer a little better than I. Mm-hmm. Um, or John, do you
1: have to get Ellie on the <laughs> show at some <laughs> point?
0: <laughs> that would be I that would be fantastic actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. just like one thing I've come to really, really, really love, um, about working in TV uh, or just in film in general yeah. um, is just how watching the way different department heads approach the same story. Um, yeah. Like, I'll write the script and I'll think I know everything about it yeah. and then we'll go to shoot it yeah. and the DP is talking about yeah. why purple is just the right storytelling color for this one. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? I never fucking said purple. What <laughs> fuck is this guy? That? <laughs> um, but just seeing, but they
1: know what they're talking about. Yeah, they
0: absolutely <laughs> do. Yeah. And I think my first reaction, like when I first started was like, what the? these guys are just like spinning yarn. I don't know what the fuck these guys are talking about. <laughs> and then, um, the more exposure I've had, the more experience I've had, yeah. um, yeah. No, these guys know yeah. exactly what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. and they're really smart. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Margot Reddy, who designed who's our um, she's our production designer this season. Um, yeah. the way she and her team accomplished the yeah. that little village of the mosaic um, and the patterns and everything yeah. just blew my mind. like yeah. I could never have sniffed at anything that brilliant as what she and her team did. Um, so I think that's, and and you know, it's stuff that's lost on me, but it's something you see, like it obviously, those production decisions had a big impact on you. Um, and that's just something that that's one of the true, true pleasures of working. Um, in TV or in film, is just seeing the brilliance that other people uh, bring to the same story.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, what else inspired you? Are there any other references that we may have missed?
0: Hmm, yeah. Um, unless there's something super meta in there that I'm blanking on, I think those, I don't, I, yeah, I want to say those two were the two major. Reference points: the Charlotte Regan oh, short,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, standby, and um, Infinite Light. Um, yeah, no. Besides that, I mean, there's there's also just a lot of story to dig through. <laughs> oh yeah, for episode. sure. Episode. Um, so I had definitely had my hands full just getting through uh, the, the story tonnage we had to get we had to tell um, in this episode. Mm-hmm.
1: I will say that one of the other things that this episode kind of awoke me to as far as, like, the potential of this season is that... So the last two seasons have, uh, for the most part, been kind of like a one continuous dramatic arc with with a handful of, like, little exceptions, like the heist episode. Um, mm-hmm. But the quest frame that, that, like, this whole season is wrapped in um, and, like, the fact that that is sort of split into these, like, seven mini- quests. Mm-hmm. Um, it really opens this season up to do more episodic content and, and not be stuck with a single arc. Um and yeah, I mean that I, I found that one of the reasons this episode did that to me is because it is self-contained, like you said, like it's it's just Quentin and Elliot in their own little world for that part of it. Um and while the other components do kind of tie to the broad I mean everything ties to the broader story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I was curious if that's something you've been thinking of as writers, um, if it's something yeah you're excited yeah. about.
0: Yeah, absolutely, we're excited about it. I think one of the joys slash challenges of season of writing season three mm-hmm. challenges, if you will, <laughs> was <laughs> that it was like it is a
1: question. Wait, did you say challenges? Oh, I
0: said challenges. Yes, indeed.
1: Oh my. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Continue on your way.
0: <laughs> cool. um, yeah, was that it was. Uh, we knew like, it's a quest. It's a fucking quest. So we have to be ambitious. Um, and, uh, we, we really felt the, um, I don't, pressure is not the right word. The, I guess just the urge to, um, to tell stories, um, in the strongest way that we kind of could, um, Penny's arc, for example, um, comes to mind with that like yeah. we got Penny super sick yeah. and then we got him even sicker yeah. and then he was dead and like mm-hmm. now we have to deal with that yeah. um, and so I think this season the in a weird way the by taking magic away from our characters um, made the show bigger in a sense um, in, a, in what I think and hope other people mm. think is a good way and yeah. um, that you know if, if we want to have um, if we want to have some magic in the show we have to go find it or we, or we have to go make it mm. or mine it or you know whatever and mm. each episode can be about different ways to, to find something you lost or um, or question why you even want it in the first place. Um, but the, sorry, I, I got off on a little <laughs> tangent there. <laughs> um, but, uh, but with all that said, yeah, the framework does keep it all as the same story, um, that, that we all are on the same quest, um, yeah. at the end of every episode.
2: <sighs> um, so let's start talking about other storylines, starting with Margot, things got a little Game of Thronesy for her in this episode, didn't they?
1: <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. A little so, little bit. What's, up <laughs> yeah. what's up with that?
0: Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. Hmm. That's a great question. What is up with that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Well, uh, we, one thing we have done on this show is kind of looked at marriage in a non-20th century view. Because yeah. um, marriage yeah. up until, you know, about 150 years ago yeah. Yeah, wasn't was about really alliances. about who you loved. Um, especially the more, you know, political or social clout you had. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not just for kings and queens. And a lot of that still yeah. can't exist today in, in different ways. Um, but yeah, to, like let's let's make Margot marry somebody and um, maybe for a for a second she could feel <laughs> but good that about can't it. Last. And feel like it's a cute it, not like guy. Not who yeah. Who like he's gonna be able to boss around and is totally into her and is totally devoted to serving her. Um, but yeah she's not gonna get that for more than like two acts. What show is this? Yeah,
1: Um, Yeah, not with the Cormac McCarthy reader over
0: here.
2: (laughs) I know. I was starting to also uh, change my mind about uh, the Princess (laughs) of Loria.
0: Yeah, you're starting to go back on him?
2: I was just like, huh, surprising turn for him. He seems to actually (laughs) care about her a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And now he, now he's locked away.
1: Does he even know what happened? I wonder at this point. Yeah, somebody must have let him out.
2: (laughs) I probably. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Um, I thought it was, it was funny because like as soon as she was like like lock him away, (laughs) he obviously didn't do it. Like as soon as she (laughs) was saying that.
0: (laughs) Cause you check your watch and you're like, wait a minute, it's only thirty minutes. There's still more episode to go. <laughs>
1: uh, speaking of, mm-hmm. um, we should also get to Julia at least briefly, because um, kind of a big thing happens mm-hmm. with Julia. She and Alice have this like bonding moment, and Alice helps her use the key, to, the mm-hmm. second key, to like see her own truth, which. Kind of like what yeah. happens in the book is that O.L.U., well, it's a little different, but like O.L.U. planted a seed of Reynard's magic in her. So does this mean we're going to see demigoddess Julia this season?
0: We are going to see. I mean, obviously <laughs> I can't, you know, don't try to <laughs> give me the spoilers. <laughs> okay, so, so what tricky. can
1: you tell us? <laughs>
0: uh, we're going to see you know, what happens when um the best news in the world turns into the absolute worst news in the world
1: Intrigue.
0: um and what that does to you as a person and like what do you um I mean Julia has this one singular trauma that is the absolute nader of her entire life um <laughs> in every conceivable way and now that's that's intrinsically tied to possibly like their their only lead on how to bring magic, or on yeah. on on magic existing in the world. You know they have they have this quest, and they have what a little bit Julia can do. Um, and remember like early on in the season how great that was. Like it got Quentin out of his funk. Julia's little smoke spell reignited. Mm. Josh, like it, mm-hmm. it gave Josh a reason not to to mope. Mm-hmm. Um, so Julia knows what... Julia, Julia knows the, the power of good she can do with this, but, um, oh my God, now it's yeah. tied to Reynard. And it's part of Reynard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah. her fighting this out with Alice being in the room, that, you know... Yeah. It, it could be better if, for her if other people were in the room, mm. but mm. Alice's desire and Julia's desire match up like puzzle pieces in just the right way at just the right moment. Um, for them to... I mean, you heard how they talk about it at the ending. Yeah, mm. uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a spoiler to say things <laughs> might not turn out well if they do that. yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm hoping they don't. (laughs) I'm hoping they don't. I'm
1: hoping they don't too, but I I know better.
2: (laughs) Although it's like... (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'm just like hoping for that demigoddess Julia. I think a lot of fans of the books have been waiting for it patiently.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay, so we should get on to fashion. And I had like an unusually high number of fashion notes for this episode, but <laughs> when I look back at them, they're mostly just me yelling yeah. in all caps about Margot's, like what Margot gets to wear. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a. Right? Oh my God. She face like, looks amazing. So, I have a thing this says Margot's fucking dress, OMG. I don't actually, this is not the wedding dress. I talk about that too. So there's like this corset top and a beaded belt and it's short in front and long in back. And she has these like amazing boots that are like calf length. And I think they're like,
0: is this the, is this the black yeah, dress you yeah. were in earlier in the episode or what? She was wearing when she um, went to meet Jane Chow. The one
1: earlier in the that episode, awesome though yeah, I you. didn't even put that one down, but that is also a big oh, one. Yeah. And then she has like this beaded eye patch, which like we've been seeing all these like nice little lace things, but I just love how her eye patches are changing over the course of the season. I mean,
0: I'm, I'm sure, pretty sure Sorry, go ahead,
2: Amy. I'm pretty sure Clara I said, I'm pretty sure Clara could go on for twenty minutes alone about oh my how amazing yeah. Margaret looks every
0: episode. So yeah. no, that's <laughs> completely fair. Yeah. I mean, we are Blessed is a mild word to describe um, how lucky we are to have uh, Magali, our costume designer. I'm sure oh, yeah. other people have talked about her at length. Oh um, yeah. But yeah, she uh, just designs these... And that this kind of gets to what I was talking about before, about how different departments approach. Um, but when we got into the costume meeting with Magali for this episode... Um, you know, she, had, she had a fuckload of work. Um, she had to design the look of the floaters, the floater delegation, yeah. and what their wedding gowns would look like. Yeah. And what hmm. Quentin and Elliot, how their costumes would age yeah. over fucking yeah. 50 years. Yeah. So she had a whole lot of work. And bear in mind, like, these departments get about eight oh days, God. maybe, to prep
1: That's all crazy. of
0: these things um i mean sometimes more but i mean but it's just the nature of tv production of like they can get the script in advance but they're busy doing the episode they're doing so you know they only have so many hands so for the costume department to put all that stuff together so quickly was amazing and like her talking about um Specifically, Margo's costume. Like, I think mm-hmm. the one she was wearing at the beginning of the episode, we might have actually seen before, um, yeah. but only once and probably very briefly. Yeah. Um, but no, I do. Yeah. I love that costume. And I love how it, you know, like, yeah. you get to see the big M. Yeah. You know, her Gigo yeah. uh, demon tattoo. Yeah, it was nice um, to see
1: that that wasn't something that got
0: forgotten. <laughs> right right and plus it's like how great is it to be dressed in all black and then find out that day is your wedding day yeah like that's just a little stroke of genius from ugly that it's foreshadowing um, i mean that kind of yeah exactly and like that's the kind of storytelling that you can do just like you never have to say it you never have to make a point of it but it's In there, and it uh, it gets into your. So let's talk about her
1: wedding costume too. And uh, part of what interests me about her wedding garb is that it's not really very Margot-like. Other than the Mm -hmm. so, there's an eye patch that is not the one that I think she got from the Fairy Queen. She's wearing like a different eye patch, which makes sense. Like I wouldn't wear. (laughs) That would not be my something borrowed. That's for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, (laughs) um, And then this, (laughs) you know, gorgeous white. Dress with this gold lace ribbon that just gets completely covered in blood.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the very first instinct on that costume is she's gonna get covered in yep. blood, so we want to <laughs> see the blood. Uh, that's you know that's rule number one. Um, but also, like the we you know we still want to celebrate. What a royal wedding is like in Philly, We've seen one Florian wedding, but it wasn't a royal wedding. Um, and like, yeah, they have children of Earth coming to rule them, so that's definitely going to influence their their costumes. Yeah. Um, but it's not yeah. necessarily the end all be all. Yeah. Like from what we've seen, it's um, you know a lot of Western influence like because it's you know the chatwins or our characters very western but magali also wanted to make a point of including other cultures like in uh china for example um and this is all stuff she's telling me so if i screwed any of it up it's because <laughs> i'm misremembering it yeah. and yeah. whatever is right <laughs> is what she said trust me on that yeah um uh, I yeah. feel yeah, like yeah. red and gold are big uh, uh, wedding colors um, yeah. in Eastern in some Eastern cultures yeah. Um, yeah. so she wanted to include some of that yeah. while also just letting this be a garment that would have been made in fillery yeah. um, and it's amazing how diligent they are with like we can't put Margot in this dress because it's made with like this kind of a print Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't have that printing technology in fillery. Um, So the, the level of detail they go into not just in like what they put in the costumes, but what they don't put in the costumes is um, really
1: fascinating. There's one last thing I I want to mention, um, but I don't want to spend too (laughs) much time on it because we are, oh my gosh, we've taken so much time. so one of the things I noticed was uh, Alice's sweater in this is reminiscent of the dress that she wears when she's going niffin' in that episode that she wears for, like, four episodes, because it's got those same, like, diamond pattern, jagged lines, um, but it's in the stitching. And I have been noticing, mm-hmm. I mentioned this in the last episode, that, like, she's been in more blue tones, like, especially her makeup this season. Um, so I just thought that was really cool, and I kind of wonder if it's doing anything, but I'm not going to ask you that, because, you know, spoilers. Um and then the last thing is not really fashion, <laughs> but I wanted to point out that technically we got white-haired Quentin in this episode.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Basically. I'm so glad you noticed that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. No. <laughs> That's actually one of the things we talked about when Does breaking the episode was. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Yeah. We can do white-haired okay. Quentin. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure have. the listeners
1: will tell us if it really counts but <laughs> it was cool right like we did get to see him and I think I yeah the one place where it felt really like what I expected was that overhead shot when he's putting the when he's putting the tile in to solve the mosaic that really felt like everything I expected mm-hmm. from White Haired Q so that was cool okay sweet is that it for fashion I think it probably is so um, let's move on to the MVP yeah the three contenders for me this episode are Jason, Hale, and Summer. And it's, it's like, a really tough call between the three of them. Um, and I think sort of in the mm-hmm. end, I was like, okay, I can't give it to three. So uh, may, I can maybe get away with giving it to two. So I'm going to split it between Hale and Summer. Hale, because I think, like, his physicality, um, especially in that, that ending scene, um, was just so impressive to me. Like, it really you get so much nuance out of that. And then Summer for just like the sheer range she had to contend with in this episode and just like making that really over the top wedding scene feel real and feel like that was a real reaction.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think, (laughs) I think those are spot on. I mean, Hale and Jason did so much work and I think it really shines through um, just with how they approached not only the mental work of Um, aging 50 years, but also, like you said, the physical work. Um, like that's not easy. That's uh, very it's it's one of those things where, unless you get it exactly right, (laughs) it looks like you're trying, and that looks worse than not trying at all. And I think both of them really nailed it, honestly. Um, yeah, it was uh, wonderful to see on the day. Um, and yeah, with Summer, she had, she had a fucking hell of an arc. She has, All of the feelings. God, I don't know how many highs and those she had. Um, and just, and each one of her scenes, like, she didn't have any scenes she could just rest during. Each scene, every single scene she was in was just her at 110%. Um because she had to be, because she was just caught alone in this situation and having to just run with it. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, wait, well, was I supposed we'll to do? We'll get go back to you. We'll I get back to you. Water?
1: But I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask Danny what hers is first. So, <laughs> um, I'm just gonna keep it short and sweet and say, "Distance <laughs> for me." Yeah, you're, you're rounding out my, my triad, my triangle. <laughs> <laughs> oh you can all the listeners can't see it but yeah. I'm making weird faces with my eyebrows uh okay
0: she's drawing triangles on a whiteboard like I don't know <laughs> yeah are, we've but, added a
1: whiteboard mm, to yeah, my no, closet It's not,
0: <laughs> it's not yeah.
1: complete squares, okay Mark. Uh, I know it's torture to answer this question but we have to know who's your MVP
0: <sighs> My MVP is the art department <laughs> I gotta say they really like they just did uh, such a great job, I thought. Um, I mean, everybody, the art department, um, don't get recognized a whole lot, and this was an episode where I thought they really got to um, just show how great they are, and they nailed it. Great answer.
1: Okay, so now we do episode ratings. Danny, you go first this time.
2: I will give it a 10 out of 10. Uh, it's just yeah. a perfect episode. Yeah, you
1: stole the words right out of my mouth. 10 out of 10 for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, I'm not going to ask you to rate an episode you wrote, of course, but I am curious, of the episodes that you've written, which has been your favorite?
0: Oh. oh. I mean, part of me has got to be partial to the one that has a fucking <laughs> dragon in it. Fair. <laughs> um. <laughs> but, um. I think I'm gonna go with this one. Um, it was a unique story that I don't know if I'll ever be able to write again, because um, how many other shows have this kind of a an opportunity to write a story like that? Um, yeah, I think I got to go with this Great one. Good answer.
1: <laughs> this is my favorite of your episodes too. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Though the dragon was excellent. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, That's episode. Anything we missed? Anything you want to plug?
0: Yeah, uh, no, I mean, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this and watching our show. Uh, keep watching. Keep telling your friends to watch. Um, and hope yeah. to be back. Here well, season thank four. you so much
1: for joining us today. I, I really hope we get that opportunity. I hope there's. I hope there is a season four. God forbid that doesn't happen. Um, and I hope that you'll join us again then so we can mm-hmm. talk about yet another great episode that you will have written. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just been a sheer delight, a sheer delight. Inner delight. Okay, I'm done. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, gotta get the puns. I, I say what you're gotta going get for it. the puns going. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> listeners, thank you for sticking with us for season three. Remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. The more positive ratings we get, the higher we show up in the search result, which means that more fans can find us and hear interviews with awesome people involved with the show, like Mike. And as always, follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. Bye. Mind slot. Oh Hufflepuffs.